From Bias to Equality podcast is brought to you by the CEO magazine, Holman Web Lawyers, and B2 Buy. Hello, and welcome to my podcast from Bias to Equality. I'm your host, Sandra D'Souza. Thank you for joining us. Today, we are going to have a conversation with Alan Ryan and Tess Julian from Hargraves Institute as part of our expertise series. Alan Ryan, founder and executive director of Hargraves Institute, is a renowned thought leader and innovation expert with over 25 years of experience. He specializes in helping organizations unlock their full potential through innovation, offering insights, idea generation, and implementation expertise. Alan's dedication to fostering collaboration and his industry-specific knowledge have made him a sought-after figure in the field. His guidance empowers organizations to achieve unparalleled growth, enhance performance, and increase shareholder value. Now, Tess, she's amazing, I think, because she has devoted her professional life to empowering individuals in the workplace, focusing on the development of essential skills. Throughout her extensive career, Tess has personally encountered and surmounted numerous numerous obstacles faced by women across various organizational settings. As an employee, leader, business partner, and founder, she has firsthand experience in navigating the challenges and breaking down barriers. A little bit about Hargraves. The Hargraves Institute was founded in 2006 by 12 leading organizations seeking to create a collaborative forum and source of knowledge for innovation. When forming Hargraves, the founding members and their executive director, Alan, took inspiration from one of the Australia's most accomplished inventors named Lawrence Hargrave. Renowned for creating the box kite in 1893, Hargrave refused to patent his inventions, instead allowing them to benefit anybody who wished to use them. Consequently, this willingness to share his ideas openly enabled others to achieve crude flight. This principle of sharing and collaboration to advance knowledge is the cornerstone of Hargrave's Institute. Hi, Alan and Tess. Thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast today. Thank you, Thank you for having us. Now, I know this time I've got both of you on the uh, here joining me in the interview. Normally I do a one-on-one, but I will, so I'll try and um, direct the questions to each one of you. So I'm going to start off with Alan. Alan, I want to know what would you like to add to your bio? Well, thank you, Sandra. What I'd like to add is that my original training was a mechanical engineer, which means I love to know and understand how things work. And what my passion is and what I've been doing now for a long time is is helping organisations make change happen and executing strategy. I just love getting things done and delivered and seeing the outcome. So that's the sort of passion behind what I do every day. Well, that's wonderful. You know, I wasn't expecting you to talk about that, but uh, that certainly gives an insight into the way that you think and the passion that you have, which I can really hear that through. And so what about you, Tess? What else would you like to add to your bio? Well, I think um, the thing that I have always done is be a Uh, an educator, a facilitator, a trainer. That's what I love doing. And I love working with groups of women, but I also love working with groups of anyone really. And um, seeing we we are very fortunate because we work with people who want to learn how to innovate. They want to learn how to be better. And uh, so it's sort of a joyful, a joyful occupation really. 
Well, that's a nice way to put it, I guess, helps helping you to live your purpose. <clears throat> Um, okay, so well, Tess, I'm going to ask you this next question, and um, and you can be as honest as you want to. With there's a backstory, or how did you both start working together? Well, it I had done a lot of work in the vocational education and training system around innovation and innovation skills, and I had my own company. And at a certain point, I decided I wanted to grow and go and work with other people for a while. So I disbanded my company and I met up with Alan, who was at that far at that time the godfather of innovation. <laughs> and um <clears throat> so we started was he, was was he scary at the time? Sorry. <laughs> Can't help but say never that. scary. Never scary. <laughs> <laughs> the guru perhaps. Anyway, uh, yeah. we work and we started to work together um around innovation, collaboration, all things that, you know, I enjoy doing. And uh, then, of course, innovation's good for women. Women are good for innovation. So the diversity aspect of innovation uh, came about or oh, maybe six, seven years ago. And so, so we started working on a, a program for specifically for women, but it also, you know, my, my philosophy is that if, you make it right for women who are 51% of the population, you go a long way to make it right for everyone. Not completely, but, you know, yeah. um, so it is really about inclusion and diversity for everybody at work. Which is fantastic is a- because, yeah, no, because because basically what you're saying is that um, you it's not about changing women. It's about empowering women and through innovation. and, and Exactly. And the program... Because it's based on innovation and change and collaboration, uh, we we spend time in the Women at Work program on how to make change happen. And then we focus on how to make change happen to remove the barriers for people at work to make it a more inclusive workplace. So it is very much about making change uh, to the workplace, not making change to the people or the women. That's great. That's great. Um, so I guess, you know, I want to ask the next question. I actually think that Alan and you and Tess would have different answers to that. But I'll start off with Alan. Um, you know, in, I guess in your in your work, what are the usual problems that you've seen with companies that when they face or that they face when they want more women in leadership roles? Um, Sandra, so the common problem is bias around they just can't see the problem. Um, businesses good, we're doing well, why do we need to change? Um, I'm happy doing it, I'm happy. If I'm a leader, I've been, had a career for 10 or 20 or 30, 40 years, why be different, why change? And I think the drama is is that the world is now becoming much more volatile, much more uncertain, and therefore organisations have to have much more uh, ability to change. And by having the capability to innovate, they can then therefore change and so the challenge is they don't see it and because they don't see it, they don't promote women. But the challenge is if because they don't see it, they're also missing the big opportunities to keep up with change. So this is about leadership uh, driving it and, and they're sort of like they're stuck and they need to see that they need to make a change. So I think the hard part is the bias that they just can't see it. Mm. Um, and they really need to have a kickstart that says in order for us to be more capable of change, to solve complex problems, we need more diverse thinking in our leadership teams. We need to promote diversity in order to do that, but there has to be a kickstart. And it's just getting that kickstart that's the problem. 
And I think it's really interesting that how you see that innovation diversity goes hand in hand. Um, and, and Tess, I guess from your perspective, I, you know, what what are the usual problems that you see when when companies um, face have, wanting to have more women in leadership roles? Well, the major one is attracting women, especially in the STEM areas, uh, finding finding women who are qualified, who are prepared to apply for jobs. And uh, in, in that case, you really have to help them look at their recruitment, their whole recruitment process and how they've structured it. But then the next thing is retaining. How do you keep mm. people? Um, yeah. How do you make the workplace a place where women want to be? And then the next thing is how do you get women to promoted into leadership positions. So there are sort of those three things that people recognise are problems, but they don't necessarily recognise what they need to do to address the problems. And it sounds really, really challenging. Um, and, and I guess it, it is it is challenging. Um, otherwise, we wouldn't be struggling so much and having, trying to recruit more women. And like you said, it's a complex issue. What, what do you, like, you know, when when companies want to talk to you guys, like want, wanting some help, um, and at least they're aware of the problems. Do you do you have a starting point, like where where you like how you address that? Um, and I can, you know, I'll I'll, I'll start off with Tess from from your perspective. All right, because when you say the thing is, people will say yes, we've got a problem. But because, as you say, Sandra, the solution is very complex and in mm. some ways it means actually rethinking and reframing your thinking about how work, how you do everything at work, yeah. um, what you find is that uh, employers go, woof, I don't think I want to go that down that track, that sounds hard, and <laughs> they'll, they'll opt for a quick fix. And um, uh, well, that's often the you know yeah let's just do a women's program or let's do a session on something and you know fix it and then we tick tick the box uh, and it, obviously that doesn't work because it no. is quite a, a complex a complex process. So and, it, and it's um, just not one off, is it, Tess? You can't just say just do a program and that solves everything. Well, I, you know, I quote Gary Hamill here. I like this quote. He says, genuine transformation in companies is rare because few leaders are capable of, one, imagining a radically different future states, two, approaching change systematically rather than looking for a silver bullet, and three, persevering over the three to four years it takes to make deep change irreversible. And mm. that's certainly been my experience. However, we have had examples of companies that have done that and have reaped the benefits of actually of that pers perseverance and grit. No, that's anyway, good to that, know. I mean, well, no, no, it means that it's possible, you know, and... and, and it and is possible, absolutely. You, yeah, and if you commit to it. And so, um, Alan, I'm going to point this question to you. I guess with... Um, you, you would have come across, I guess, um, in, in helping companies part of the company people resisting change they don't want the changes um and I imagine and can I hazard guess it could be coming more from um existing leadership mainly men I mean maybe I'm tell me if I'm kind of like you know um generalizing or, or stereotyping I'm happy to be corrected but I would love to hear from your experience um when it comes to change 
and you, you see resistance, you know, how did that, how does that look like and, and what do you do? Well, it's obvious that the leadership at the moment is mostly male, which is why there's a problem. <laughs> and it's becoming more and more obvious that there's external pressures on companies from shareholders um, and from customers to say, we want to see a more diverse company. And there's ESG reporting, and there's a whole bunch of things going on for board level reporting to say that shareholders want to see more diversity because uh, they know that it's good for business. Then you have the challenge that people see it and then they say, well, we've got to do something about it. And sometimes they don't. And I don't find that, I, I, no, let me start again. It's more around most boards and executive teams are incredibly busy. Um, we've got a recession coming. We've got inflation. We've got unsteady environments with Ukraine and China. We've got AI. There are so many things on their um, menu of jobs to be done that when they then look at gender and look at diversity, somehow it falls down the, the list way below things like cyber security and um, cost cutting. And so I think if there's not a resistance to change, there's much more around, we're so darn busy doing things that seem to be more important that we don't get around to it is the first example. Um, the terrible thing about that is that if they did get around to it, and if they did improve their diversity, they'd, they'd have much better outcomes to solve those other problems as well. Um, yeah. But it's just a busy, busy thing. So we don't see a proactive resistance to change to say we're going to stop um, diversity improving. What we see is we're just so darn busy doing so many other things that we just don't get around to it. It doesn't get on. We know we want to, but we yeah. just don't get there. And, and I guess it's not seen as top priority. Yeah, that's it. It's not. It's not my immediate emergency happening um, around around um, what I need to focus on today. And it's also when the the big opportunities come, like a senior leader leaves, and there is an opportunity to promote someone or recruit from outside or recruit a mid level manager for the future. Normally, people are so darn busy that they're just trying to find someone, anyone, and get the right person, etc that they don't miss the opportunity to say, well, this particular time we're going to go the extra yard and make sure we hire for some diversity and just and, and look a little bit harder as compared to, I just need to get a position filled. So I think urgency and busyness are the enemies of changing diversity. And so when when you do see companies who seek out for help, coming to you for help, and then and then you see, you know, it's not, some of the leaders are not seeing it as top priority or, you know, there's always fires to put out. There's, there's not, there's no sense of urgency around the issue. What are the, like, what do you tell them? What do you say, like, how important this is? How, or does it need to come from the CEO to say, you know, the CEO says, this must be it. This is, this is, this is the only, this, we have to put focus on this. Like, how do you, how do you, like, what is it that you've seen in your experience that sort of shift that mentality? So um, it's exactly like Tess said about how hard it is for leaders to deliver change. Um, we look for a champion. We look in an organisation and say, is there a champion that is going to fight this battle for the next year or two or three or four and continually fight the battle and always raise it at the right time and always put the pressure on it and so that it doesn't have to be the CEO. It has to be obviously somebody with influence. Um, but you, every time an organisation that we've dealt with has been successful at changing, it's come from a champion um, around that, mm -hmm. a champion of change. And that's yeah. the, the absolute secret. 
Um, and it's that top, and they have to be a person of influence. Um, and that's the secret of, of actually making it happen. It's that champion. So that's the secret source. Well, I think it's a secret source. And it's a secret source around many things um, because when things are busy, who speaks up for more, more diversity? You know, when, when they start cost-cutting, who speaks up? Right? You need that champion that says, um, we need to continue our diversity programs even though we're cutting costs. Um, you need that champion. And then once the champion then achieves more diversity and, and we have more women in more senior roles, then you get a community approach and there's a lot more diversity happening. So that, and then, then you start a roller coaster and, um, and then, then they just grow and grow and grow. But in the early days, it's identifying a champion with a true passion. Mm. But also, I mean, my observation is you need a CEO and an executive team that's very open to it as well. Mm. And the research suggests that CEOs and executive teams are often very open to it. But as, you know, Alan described, it's the day-to-day -day business that interferes. So having a champion there who can translate, articulate, uh, remind the executive team is is a great way to overcome that problem. And then if you have that, a resistant, yeah, go on, sorry. No, 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 I was going to say, can the champion be somebody from the board or does it have yeah. to be peer level or the next, like? Well, as Alan said, it does need to be someone with influence, usually yeah. someone who's on the executive team. Who has enough influence and yeah. as and can is heard yeah. but also can can you know get the support within the organization as well okay yeah. i mean i ask that because you said like just even if you have the executive team that's open um by having a champion from the board will help give them that reinforcement of support which will cascade down i guess um, yeah. or that they know that the yes there are competing priorities but the board backs them then, then they're okay in a way. Well, that's right. And you do need the top down and bottom up. So you do need to have your diversity, you know, like a, a, a mechanism within the organisation, a diversity committee or a, a alumni association or something that actually yeah. keeps things happening and, and, and because you do need that movement yeah. underneath as a part of the the staff the employees as well can't all be top down so but i guess that's where the champion sort of the advocate is the broker between those two between mm -hmm. the board and the executive team and the and the movement and and i have to add in here um to, to, to support tests and it's not about changing the women and it's not about um skills for the women it's about changing the systems of the business it's about changing how the business thinks. It's changing how the business works. It's changing how the leadership and the board report. That's how you actually start a change to actually improve diversity. Um, and then you move on to um, hiring the right women and developing them and doing a whole bunch of things. But it's a, it's, the secret is it's, it's a system issue. It's a business mm. issue. It's a leadership issue. It's not a women's issue. That's really important. I think that's an important point that uh, you're both making because um, I think historically, and I'm talking about 20, 10 years ago, maybe 10 or 20, um, that it would be how to teach women to be more assertive, how to um, encourage them to speak up, how to um, almost adopt 
the masculine behavior in an in in, a, in an organization to fit into the culture in order to progress and and um and what we're talking about is is not that um and that's a really important point to make because women don't need fixing um and and what we're saying here is is really helping the company's culture the leadership team the 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 the, the various employee groups and the culture to make it an environment that is conducive for diversity, inclusivity, and 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 help drive that profitability, innovation, and performance. And if you do change systems and practices, which is what you need to do to really, it has to be applicable to all employees, not just women. You know, mm. like it, it has to be something that actually changes the whole workplace, not just working conditions for women or for a particular group. Uh, but um, the women and other groups need to be heard to understand how to make that change work for them as yeah. well as, you know, all, everyone. So, yeah. And, and can I add, so, yep, go on. So need to be heard. So it's very, very simple um, in terms of meetings happen every day. And in senior leadership teams right now, there is a majority of males in the meeting because that's just the facts of the statistics. It yeah. is the male's responsibility and the leader's responsibility to make sure that everybody is heard in that meeting and to make sure that not only that if, if the women in the room are heard is that everybody is heard in a meeting and that changes the um, inclusivity, psychological safety of meetings that, and that's one of the core um, notice uh, points of change is amplifying the fact that you're listening to everybody and you're making sure that everybody speaks in meetings and everyone is speaking equally as Tess said, it's not about being more equal to women or different. It's everybody has an equal chance and that's the role of the leader or the person running meetings to ensure that in meetings everybody are heard. Everybody is heard equally. Everyone has the opportunity to speak um, and that will absolutely change the outcomes of your meetings in terms of better quality of decision-making and better performance um, by simply ensuring that everyone at a meeting is heard. And, and that sounds really basic and fundamental, but I guess that's that's not the case when it's not inclusive because not everybody gets heard, um, and, and as we know, unless we make the effort, unless the culture makes the effort to 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 be that inclusive. And so I guess in, in your experience, having seen the transition and change with companies that you've worked with, what are the type of results that you've seen um, when 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 they bring in diversity um, into into the into the company into the leadership team, um, we see better decision making. We see um, faster decision making. We see better attraction and retention of talent um, because if you're known as an organisation, it's a great place to work for women. Then more women want to work there, um, which means it improves the quality of the um, talent that you have. Um, at the end of the day, the scorecard of outcomes is that you, you will have a more successful company, um, you will make more money in the crudest of terms, um, if you have a um, more diverse decision-making process at the senior levels um, is key because we know a lot of organisations can have an awful lot of women at lower, level, not lower levels within the organisation. Um, the challenge is having that diversity equal all the way up through the organisation from the bottom to the top. 
um, and improving the thinking um, power, diversity, problem solving, risk analytics um, at every level in the organisation just makes a more successful organisation. And I think there's a lot of evidence, you know, to uh, support that. You find lots and lots mm -hmm. of evidence that you get better decision making, better business, more creativity, more innovation. Um, but the thing that I would also add is that if you have women in leadership positions or, and, and uh, people from um, other groups, you have safer workplaces, healthier workplaces, better mm. workplaces, because uh, I think I think that, that that's true because it breaks down those sort of cultural elements that can be very difficult for women in negotiating their day to day work. Yes, that's an interesting point because I was actually, I was going to point out, Tess, what you just said after what Alan has said is that uh, research, lots of research, like you know, have shown the benefits of having more diversity and how it actually helps improve business performance. And you and Alan are talking the, 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 the real examples that you've seen firsthand, the change and, and what that means. Um, but I do take the point that you make, um, which we, we tend to overlook, but uh, that safety, whether it's uh, workplace psychological safety as well and um, that's, that's also physical safety. I mean, I think yeah. there is some, I, I think I was reading an article about it, you know, and if you look at or political parties, I think mm. um, there is some evidence that because um, when you have more women in positions in, the, in a political party, it's safer for all women. Yeah. And that's one of the big reasons. And I think that I did read that uh, as well. There's uh, research that shows that's true in organisations as well. And that's important because you want to feel safe at work. Absolutely. And that's, and, and, and that's how you also can perform better because you're performing, obviously when you, you work in V, you don't perform that well. And I know I'm yeah. pointing out the obvious, but but um, it's an, um, a factor that not um, everybody thinks about, but it is an important factor. Well, things like women's specific health issues. Uh, mm. I mean, women have health issues that men don't have. And if you have women in leadership positions they can sort of accommodate those and 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 be sensitive to them so I mean that's just a, a small example but I think that's important mm, that's great I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you a strange question um and um just because I know we talk about gender balance but besides having more women what does a really inclusive leadership team look like to you I've got the answer to this one an okay. inclusive leadership team should represent proportionately this, the employees in a company. So you should have the same percentage of women on the leadership team as you have as employees, the same percentage of, you know, like really uh, the same percentage of minority groups, cultural groups. Of course, that is your ideal, but in mm. order for that to actually work, you have to make sure that you have good um, representation of different groups across the whole organisation. But, yeah, I mean, ideally yeah. you're looking, I mean, if you're looking at a mining company, I suppose, yeah. But that's. Yeah, that's a good, that's actually, I like that because that is also what we want in, if I, you know, um, changing it to when you were talking about the politicians, um, that's what we want in, in Parliament, isn't it, when we elect. Absolutely. Um, politicians to represent the constituents you want 
yes, it's one person, but the whole makeup of the the uh, elected official is to represent the diversity of the country. Of the you, community. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. right. And yeah. organisations should represent the diversity of the community and then the leadership team should represent the diversity of their organisation. That's, you know, really. Yeah. Yeah. Alan, did you want to add? Yes. I want to add that if you have a truly diverse organisation, when I see them and we've had the pleasure of working with them, they have much more robust conversations. They have much more robust meetings. They hear everybody's voice. They have contradictory voices. Um, You can see them uh, struggling a little bit and they make better decisions because they're listening to everybody. There's not, you know, uh, groupthink, right? Groupthink doesn't happen. Um, when you have diverse organisations and people who have the safety to speak up. And so when you watch, you can see the better meetings. And a better meeting isn't everyone agreeing with each other. A better meeting is making a better outcome um, and everybody um, sharing their knowledge equally uh, because diversity improves knowledge sharing um, so that everybody has the opportunity to contribute and also learn. And so I think that's absolutely key. So I I love it. I, I know meetings where... I've been there and I think, wow, these people are really um, discussing something in a sort of nearly in a heated way, but they get a way better outcome. And as they leave the meeting, they, um, they're best of friends and it's just about, it's about solving problems. Um, work business is about solving problems and you mm-hmm. solve problems better when you have a, um, a diverse group in the meeting. Now, now, what that also means, though, that not every in exec teams, you know, you may not be able to have a totally diverse executive team because of the time it takes to recruit and develop people, you have to have the diversity in the room when the decision's being made. So you have to learn potentially to have people who might be, who might not be um, at the same level, um, but get them into the room so that they, um, they um, are there when the decision's being made. Um, I heard a wonderful story today of a consultant who was interviewing one of the um, for a, a whole new um, business in um, India, and they were interviewing a senior leadership team, one on one, and they just, they asked that every interview that they had a junior person come along for the interview. So they interviewed the senior person and a junior person at the same time, because a lot of times there's a disconnect between the senior people and the people actually running the business. So the senior people don't really know how the business is being run every day, and so there's a huge benefit of having that diversity in the room so that people know what's actually happening on the ground um, rather than just, as, just because I'm the boss, I assume that I know what's happening on the front line. You don't. You have to bring different people into the room so that you actually do know what's happening. Um, and that's So the was a junior person part of the recruitment panel? Did they ask the questions or was it that the point? I know, th- this was a consultant interviewing um, a whole leadership team around a change program and they really wanted to understand the business. And they said, if you just interviewed the leadership team, you'll get the leadership team's view, and they don't really understand the business. So they did. They only bring one one um, junior person in, or did they have a little sort? Of, they, sorry, they, they we can have one. this conversation later. <laughs> Let's get them up if we just continue this. This is a valuable, <laughs> a valuable tool. It is good. They I'm, brought, I'm intrigued. They brought, they brought one junior person in for each senior leader that they interviewed, so that when they did an interview, so if they're doing an interview one on one. With the senior leader. Oh, they were one-on-ones. Okay. Yeah, okay. They were, okay. So, sorry, they were one-on-ones, which actually meant they were one-on-twos. There was the consultant, the senior leader, and so the ask, person. So they'd say, Alan, what do you think? And then Susie, what do you what think? Do you think? What, what do you think? 
right? What do you reckon? Yeah, and sometimes, yeah. sometimes um, they would then have a lovely, watch a lovely conversation between the senior and junior person saying, well, this is what's really happening. How do you know? Yes, it is. No, it's not. So um, that's the other reason why diversity is sometimes hard um, in the original question, Sandra, is that sometimes the senior leadership is a bit disconnected in large organisations mm. from the front line from what's actually happening in the offices. Um, yes, because they're so busy and there are so many layers of management. And so therefore the diversity is to actually get them connected to the organisation better. And, you know, um, Alan, you brought a lot of flashback memories for me because I remember um, one particular role I was in and um, I was I was a, a pretty young in, in a person in the management team, but I wasn't it wasn't that long ago. I guess I was um, um, junior. And so when the management team were making decisions or discussion, because I still wasn't that long ago being part of that um you know how the day-to-day -day business was running they would make decisions or they would say something and I would correct them and I would say actually no um this is what they were happening and and you could see the disconnect and I didn't realize you know I guess I felt that at least I gave them the right information so that they could make a better decision um at the time and um and I was able to do that because um I was a uh, I was a I was a junior person not that long before I made it to the um, or were uh, recruited into the management team. So um, I certainly saw the value of that uh, in that experience. And, and now when you just brought this up, it's just like, oh, yes, of course, life, light bulb moment. That's, that, it, it is important because there are, there are disconnect. You just get so used to being in the management, you know, the various activities and decision-making you have to do at uh, one end of the business that you do forget what are the various issues that you may not have considered. It's natural. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. I know, do you know we could keep talking forever, but I do have a couple of questions left um, to okay. ask both of you. I think um, um, this is this is um, one I'm, I'm hesitant to ask, but I would like to know what you both think. Are there any wrong ideas about women in leadership that you want to clear up? Um, you know, what I see very often in my training programs is somebody who'll say, well, that's all very well, but the worst manager I've ever had was a woman. Mm. And, <clears throat> and I've thought about it long and hard and it occurs to me that we judge women very harshly in, and more mm. harshly. We notice them because they're less obvious because there are fewer of them. So you notice them, you judge them more harshly, and in a way that is sort of discriminatory because we expect more of women than uh, we expect of men. So and and so I say, well, of course, yeah, there are as many bad women manager, you know, bad women managers as there are um, uh, male managers. It's you know that that happens, but if there is any part of any advice I give is um, don't just lift yourself up, lift everybody up, amplify everybody. You know, your role is to make, a, to, to lift people if you're going to become mm. a leader or a manager. So, I mean, I think that's um, one of the things that I have observed, that we can, we are much, much harsher on women uh, when yeah. they 
fail or when they make a mistake or when they're not so good. I agree. I, I agree with you. Do you know, Tess, I was also just thinking about that um, recently um, because of a comment and I was also thinking about it just this morning. Um, I was talking to somebody and um, and he said, because, you know, there is obviously a greater push and a lot of discussion about having more women leaders and this part of the work that what I'm doing. Um, and he mentioned that it's becoming problematic because women are being promoted when they're not ready and so they fail in those roles and it got me thinking is you know am I doing a bad thing you know is this is this wrong to to try and push this um doing what I'm doing but then it, it got me thinking is that how how many male managers do we know who were promoted and were not ready and the oh, reason absolutely yeah, and the reason why it's it's it you know there is more notice on the women is because it it is women do get judged harshly that it's 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 uh, every mistake and I remember that also in my in my corporate career every mistake you make everyone notice but if it's um, and I don't want to make this as about gender issue and, and Alan I'm happy for you to to say you know um, share your opinion but um, but it is always more forgiving when a guy makes a mistake compared to a woman makes a mistake. And that's my observation as well. Um, because there are a lot more of them making mistakes who don't notice, <laughs> you know, like partly. But that's right, you know, really um, how many men have been uh, promoted who were not up to the, who weren't ready? Yeah. 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 So that, that, that doesn't wash with me. Um, no, no, but it got me thinking, and, and I think that's where I've come down to the same conclusion as you is, is that, um and Alan I'll come back to you but it's just there is there is so much more visibility every time a woman and it's not men judging women harshly women also judge women harshly oh, it's from both better. yeah so so it, it is challenging being being um, a woman in leadership roles for any women and also I'll just say one other thing that the way we uh, define merit, the way we define jobs are very much based around the traditional male leadership, which may or may not be appropriate for the situation that they are in. So mm. um, because, and that's one of the complicating factors, is sometimes you have to redesign jobs because mm. increasing the work is changing, the challenges are changing, so we need a different suite of skills and that makes it probably more difficult for men who are used to being promoted against the criteria that have always that they've all been trained to excel at yes. and women haven't yes and and I can really have a whole series a whole another interview hour with you on that but I, I actually want to hear Alan's feedback on on this question this Alan you was going to add if I rudely interrupted you no, no, that's 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 fine. But you're saying what are, what are are there any wrong ideas? There are hundreds and hundreds of wrong ideas about this the gender issue, and it really boils down to as Tess highlighted, the world has changed, the world of work has changed. We've gone through a period of pre-COVID, then COVID, and post-COVID. We've now now in the world of flexible working. We're in the world of AI. We're in the world of it's called activity avalanche where people got so much to do they can't breathe there's shortages of talented staff there's inflation the world has changed and so what we knew was the right thing potentially yesterday or before may not be right now and leaders who have been leading their organizations for 
10 or 20 years have only been leading post-COVID for a year or so. So it's, it's a case is that we have to learn to change with it. And a lot of the data and a lot of the experiences are very valid today as they were before, but a lot of them are very different. Um, you know, gender balance in a diverse, flexible workplace is even harder because people are, A, not in the office as much and have competing roles. And so we have to recognise that it is a tough environment and people have not navigated the future of work very well and it is still being solved. And we've also got things like purpose now, we've got sustainability, we've got a whole bunch of com competing things that leaders have to look at that it is just uh, an amazingly busy, volatile, uncertain, uh, all that sort of, um, with all those sorts of words, world that we have to navigate. And we still have to deliver growth and we have to yeah. deliver shareholder value and, and we have to count success in dollars. Um, and we have to write a report um, to the stock exchange if we're a public company saying what we've done both financially and for our environment, social and governance, ESG. Um, so it is just an incredibly um, topsy-turvy world. And I just got to come back to it. The companies that are successful are the companies that have diversity of thought and can see through these problems by seeing all the different viewpoints. And they are the companies that are going to be successful um, because diversity gives you better decision-making. Mm, that's a very good point. Okay, last question. And this is what I asked to, to everybody that I interview. Um, and we might have to make it short because we want, we're almost up um, in time. So what's the um, what advice would you give to companies that are just starting their journey toward building a more diverse and inclusive leadership team? I'll start off with Tess and then Alan can finish on that. Well, I'm going to pick up Alan's idea. Find the champion, get the executive team and board on board and focus on empowering women to be the agents of change. I love that. That's actually very good. Could write a whole blog on that one too. <laughs> Thanks, Tess. <laughs> Sorry. Alan, uh, Tess said that she took your ideas. Would you like to add to that? Well, I'll take Tess's ideas. No, I won't. Um, <laughs> it still boils down to numbers. It still boils down to looking at your leadership team and how many people are there and how many should be women and, and, and when are people retiring and leaving and you're going to replace them and then the team underneath that and do you have the quality of middle managers that you can promote up to be senior managers and how are you going to hire um, women? And I'm not a believer in ratios and things like that, yet I am because it says, you know, there's lots of excuses why you're going to hire another man, lots of reasons why you hire another man. But if you're chasing the numbers, if you're saying that we are going to start then you've got to say, we are going to hire ourselves a new CFO and she's going to be a woman. We are going to hire ourselves a new chairman of the board or get a new chairman of the board, sorry, and, and we are going to get a woman. And they make that decisions. And so it's, it's not about ratios and it is about ratios. It's not about counting the numbers and it is about counting the numbers. Um, you've just got to start doing it in, in terms of saying we are going to make the effort um, to, to, to go that extra yard and hire the, the right woman for the right role. And, yes, she's going to be a she. Mm, I think that's very, very good advice. Talking about women, did you say women's going to be cheap? <laughs> no. A she. 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 I said she. Oh, it's she. I'm going to clarify that. Yes, right. no, very um, good. I was, I was being funny at the end. Um, anyway, on that note, thank you so much both for your time. Um, and, and uh, you know, I can actually 
keep asking you many questions because I think what you've shared with us is really um, very practical advice, approaches, solutions to how we can solve this and um, and that you have both seen you know, in firsthand um, changes and the success of those change for companies. So thank you for sharing all of that with us and thank you for being part of this podcast. Thank you for inviting us to talk to you. And thank you, Sandra. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Today's episode is brought to you by our wonderful sponsors. Firstly, we're sponsored by B2Buy. B2Buy is your trusted business buying platform that simplifies and automates your buying process, helping you buy smarter and faster, giving you greater visibility and value. With 100,000 products in one place, B2Buy is passionate about connecting diverse suppliers with corporate buyers, so you can create a more inclusive business environment and buy better with www.b2buy.online. Our second sponsor is Holman Web Lawyers, an award-winning and dynamic full-service Australian law firm with offices in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, and Adelaide. Not only do Holman Webb offer comprehensive legal services, but they are also a proud recipient of the LX Star, recognizing their commitment to achieving gender equality and leadership. Discover more about their services, initiatives and industry-leading insights at www.holmanweb.com.au. Lastly, our sponsor The CEO Magazine is an iconic, global media brand that inspires and promotes excellence within the business world. It is a source of information, inspiration and motivation for the world's most successful leaders, executives, investors and entrepreneurs. Go to www.thesiomagazine.com. 